SDC members Rob Ashford and Michael Mayer sat down with membership coordinator Gretchen M. Michael Feld for a panel discussion about working in film in February of 2010. I'm Hope Clark, a member of Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, and this is Masters of the Stage. This program is produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing. Because this program was not originally intended for broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. As a result, portions of the conversation may have been edited. Please welcome uh, Rob Ashford and Michael Mayer. rolling by asking you guys, either one of you can start, just a little bit about your your career trajectory. Both, both are primarily theater directors, but you've done film and sort of how that happened and going forward, you know, what you anticipate. And of course, everyone wants to know how working in film is different from working in theater because all these people are theater people and they're interested in, in learning that. So. Well, I mean... I, I was a dancer in shows for many, many years, and I was um, swing and dance captain from Victor Victoria, and I, my body was wrecked from, you know, from all of that kind of work for so long, and also I started dancing when I was older, and I decided I might want to try choreography, and uh, I was very lucky because of him, and he hired me for my first show, which was Thoroughly Modern Millie. And he took a chance on literally someone who had done zero. I had done nothing. I assisted Kathleen Marshall, so that's not true. I had assisted. I assisted Kathleen, and then... You uh, taught Don Upshaw how to do one, two, one, two, three. I taught Don Upshaw. So Michael had done a couple <laughs> small things that I did with him, but like literally one, two, one, two, three, and how to get down on the floor How to stand up on a chair. How to stand up on a chair. <laughs> things like that. Uh, but uh, he just took a, took a big chance on me. So that's how I... So I, I was... Like, I, I remember making one specific decision when I decided, am I going to try to choreograph, or uh, should I try it? And it's so nerve-wracking, because it's so scary, putting yourself out there that way. Because you respect that position so much when you're a dancer yourself. And I decided that, at the same time that Kathleen Marshall asked me to assist her on Kiss Me Kate, I also got an offer to choreograph Guys and Dolls upstate somewhere. It wasn't Buffalo, but it was near Buffalo. I don't know exactly where it was now. I can't remember. And I just remember thinking, I think I'd rather, I think I'll learn more if I am the assistant with the A-team than if I'm the one, the guy, not with the A-team. Do you know? And that was, that was a conscious choice that I, I happened to make. And then, and that was by far the right choice because then you got to, I got to learn so much assisting Kathleen on how to work with dance arrangers and orchestrators and costume designers and all that stuff and she taught me so well and, and so then she helped give me that courage when they were looking for choreographers for Millie and, and Michael said, you know, you should audition and, um, and I was teching uh, Saturday night with Kathleen directed it at second stage and we were in the middle of tech and I put together we're supposed to do two audition pieces for Millie I did one mm -hmm. and then Michael calls me up and says you need to do the second one right. and you really need to do yeah. it and I was like that was really great the first so so in the middle of tech somehow I literally called all my dancer friends who've been in shows with me who were in Victor Victoria with me who were in Kiss Me Kate and they all rallied and we had 24 of them that did the audition for the big group number and uh 
and it was Ma- great. And Michael called and said, "You got it." It was really brilliant. Yeah, it was, it was so lucky. But we had know? play. We had played around with a couple other little things right, earlier, so I knew that I, that you had you were a great storyteller, mm-hmm. and that we would get along, and we'd have a rapport together. So, so that's that's where I started. Thanks to him. Um, and then I um, I started as an unemployed actor for many years, and then decided I, I guess similarly to except you were like a wonderfully successful dancer on Broadway, and I really didn't work at all as an actor. Uh, so there's a real difference there. But I had an idea that I could direct, and and um, actually Tony Kushner, the pl- the playwright who was a director also at the time, actually was my Kathleen, mm-hmm. if you will, yeah, yeah, yeah. to you. You know, So he took me kind of under his wing, and I was his assistant director on some shows that he was writing um, and directing. And uh, so that was how I sort of started in on this side of the... Um, of it, and just did a lot of... Um, at the time, you could really do a lot of showcases. You didn't need a lot of money to do stuff, and the rents were much lower. It was it was a different world. Honestly, I talked to a lot of young directors. Now, I don't know how the hell anyone gets anything done, because back in the day, you could just do shit, and people would show up. And mm-hmm. if, if you were any good at all, one thing would lead to another. And so I was just... I was fortunate in that I had some wonderful actors to work with and did some cool projects that were what people wanted to see. And one thing led to another, and so bit by bit, you start doing stuff um, and I did the Drama League program and New York Theatre Workshop had a program at the time um, and then I got the NEA TCG fellowship which was which got me into the room of a lot of really wonderful artists that I could observe which was invaluable to learn um, what works for them and what might work for me and so like that and so it just sort of snowballed in a and great way. Wh- what was your first film? How did you... Well, see, it? that's... What you know, well, um, I'd always loved the idea of, of making a movie, and I had done this play called Stupid Kids, which was uh, one of my favorite things that I did. It was a little play at the WPA um, a long time ago, <laughs> and uh, it was very special, and for whatever reason, somebody from... Um, from Universal and Jersey Shore, but that was this theater company that Danny DeVito had for a while called Jersey Shore. Well, someone from there came to see it, and they said, oh, we think this would make a great movie. Would you like to do it? And I was like, yeah, great. You know. Um, and so we started talking uh, about about making this little movie. And Scott Rudin was one of the um, one of the producers of Stupid Kids in its in its limited like momentary commercial run um, so we needed to get his permission to develop it as um, as a screenplay and he said sure because it's a little tiny thing this wasn't something he was going to be into and he said yeah go sure knock yourself out go make the movie what do I care and um, Richard Legravenez the screenwriter had signed on to um, to do the screenplay and when Scott found out that Richard was going to do it then it suddenly seemed more important to him, so he thought maybe he should get involved, but Richard didn't want to work with him, so the whole thing basically fell apart. So I thought that was the end. Um, And then um, I got a call from Tom Hulse, the actor, who had, unbeknownst to me, started becoming a producer, and he'd seen a lot of 
my work, and he had the rights to um, the novel A Home at the End of the World by Michael Cunningham. And he just took me to dinner one night, and I didn't really know him at all, and just basically said, I've got the rights to this book. Do you know the book? And I did know it, and I loved it. And he said, I think you would be a really good director for, for the film. How would you like to do that? So, I, I, yeah. <laughs> that was like really like crazy I, I, it just came to me it took us a long time to actually make the movie and it went through a lot of versions and two different screenwriters and it was a very complicated thing to actually make but we did in fact make it and so that was my first film yeah. I I, I I choreographed a movie that Kevin Spacey starred in and directed called Beyond the Sea. It was about the life of Bobby Darin. And uh, that was the first thing I did and on film. And it was, it was so bizarre because it was Christmas time and I was, you know, going up to my partner's family live up in Boston and we were driving up and literally stopped at McDonald's and I checked my phone and there was a message on the phone from Kevin Spacey saying, hey, uh, hey Rob, it's Kevin Spacey. Uh, I just like to, you know, um, I just want to talk to you about, about something. I'm going to talk to you about a project. Could you give me a call? Da, 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 da. Well, of course, it was, it was on a Friday. You know, it's like, so it was that kind of, it was like so random and so bizarre because I just, we just a Millie. It had just, we just had the Tonys and so that, that, that part was over and, and Chicago had just opened. So what I, how, the only way I could figure out was, because at that time I had the same agent as Rob Marshall and I figured, ah, I know what's happened. He's called, there was a new assistant at our agents, and I was like, he's called to get Rob Marshall's number because he'd seen Chicago and loved it. And he was calling to congratulate Rob Marshall and also see if he wanted to work with him. Mm-hmm. And so when I called, I had the, the, the whole it's speech really already ready when I called him back saying, that's not who it is. You know? <laughs> but he had actually, he had seen Millie, and he had liked it, and he uh, had uh, thought, you know, if this Bobby Darren movie ever came through, then, then you know, maybe I would do it. So, um, it was great, because we filmed in Berlin for three months, even though it was the winter, that part wasn't great, but the filming in Berlin was so great, one, it's a great city, but two, because Kevin was directing it, starring in it, and, uh, and, you know, wrote some of it as well, that he was, you know, he was awfully busy, and he was very generous, and invited me to come, and, and be there every day, so I had a, a three-month, you know, master classes in how, how it all works how, what's, how do the lights work how does this work how does that how about editing what's that go into the dailies every day I did the whole bit because I was in Berlin and what else did I have to do uh, and, uh, and made the you know and made the dances now originally when we started out uh, there were probably three times as much dancing as actually made it to the film but what happened was uh, as the film kept going and budgets kept getting smaller and there was also some there was something weird with the German government they promised a lot of uh, tax incentives uh, that's one reason why we were there that then ended up not being true so about halfway through filming they realized the budget that they had was not quite the budget anyway so it became very financial and so obviously the big production numbers were the things to go because they were the costly things uh, we used dancers from London and dancers from New York and they would I had assistants. I I would go to London and teach the London dancers. The New York dancers would fly straight to Berlin. I had assistants there that would teach them in Berlin, and then we'd bring the London dancers and we put it all together uh, uh, in Berlin. But it was pretty quick. I have to say, we would like rehearse for like two days. They'd have a day of fittings, and then we'd shoot for a day or two. So it wasn't like it wasn't luxurious. We were shooting mostly outdoors. So everything was contingent on weather, and it, it gets dark at 4 o'clock in January in Berlin, so everything had to be, you know, uh, done early. But it was, it was kind of trial by fire, 
But uh, I learned so, so much from it, and I feel so lucky to have had that experience. So, but both of you, like, when you get a call like that, or you get a, you know, do you want to do this, what, did you, I mean, did you go, well, I've never done a film before, I don't know how to do this, or did you just kind of say, okay, I'm going to figure it out, or what? The latter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't you, I mean, it's like, yeah. opportunities come that way, and the last thing that you want to do, I think, it. is to say, I don't think I can do that. I yeah. mean, who would... You know, you want to just yeah. jump in. Yeah, it's, that's right. And then yeah, you, you start to. educating yourself. I watch you more movies yeah. in the, yeah. the ensuing yeah, exactly. months than I've ever seen right. in my life put together. Right. You know? I got a call like, how many dancers do you think for the number uh, in the in the by the fountain? It was kind of a Fred and Ginger thing. It was the title song. How many couples? And I said, uh, I'll call you right back. And I, you know, I'll pull it, put in my Moulin Rouge DVD. <laughs> and you know that big Tango Roxanne? You know, in that, in that great room, that Tango Roxanne? I said, I love that number. How many couples? Counted them. Right. And then I called them back and I said, I need 24 couples or whatever, whatever is in Moulin Rouge. You know, because, I mean, I mean, you know, it's not, well, it's, it's not magic. You know what I mean? You just have to, you know what I mean? So you think, you know, it's not like, it's not all inspiration. Right. You know, and you just, you know, so... You just have to be resourceful and know you can be, mm-hmm. I guess, you know? And uh, and also be willing to learn and be willing to say, I don't know, and all yep. that. I think that's Yeah, it's key. Helpful. Like, for me on the, f- yeah. on the film, it was critical that I was completely upfront about my ignorance in every matter. Because if you... Because they look to you. I mean, yeah. when, you, when you're the director of a movie, even more than in a play... Like, every, you have an army of people that they just look at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you want, you know, yeah. here? And Time you have money. to either know. And if you don't know, That's then right. you really have to say so because you'll really mm-hmm. fuck everything yeah, up yeah, yeah. terribly. If <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. not supposed to say fuck. Ah, well, what are you? I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You're allowed to say fuck. All right. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so important in those situations that you, like, be really upfront about that stuff and surround yourself with people who really, really know what they're doing. Yeah. And how did you, do, I mean, did you, did you talk to friends? Did you, I mean, so you both watched a lot of movies. Well, I, I, yeah. I watched a ton of movies, mm-hmm. um, in particular movies that had anything to do with the three time periods. I mean, like, I don't know what I was thinking, honestly, by saying yes to this, because it was three different actors for each of the main characters, four seasons, three different time periods, and three different major locations on no money. You know, it was an insane... It was an insane proposition. But i that's where my ignorance actually served me really well because I thought, why not? Sure. Yeah, yeah, for $6 million? Sure, you can do that. Because yeah, yeah, I was used to working, you know, for, you know, theater money, which is nothing. So $6 million was a huge amount of money. You don't know how fast that goes until you're actually doing it. But, um... But it's, you know, it was... The, that it was reading so much, so much stuff, and then the interview process, like every, like all, like the DPs and the designers, the production designers, costume designers, um, every key, all of your keys, you know, everyone that I interviewed, I would put them through such a grilling thing because I was just getting information. And then I talked to a lot of my friends who uh, who direct television, you know, single camera television stuff, and the, the, the handful of people I'd known who actually directed film before and just to ask them as many questions as I could. Mm-hmm. I think that one thing that, I, you know, when you're in, especially at the beginning, when you are the underdog, more or less, and you feel like you don't have the right to ask for anything that you think you need, 
and because you want the job and you well, you don't need it but you want it and it's so appealing but I, I, the one thing that the, the only thing I was very strict on was they were like you'll use dancers from Berlin you'll use dancers from Germany mm-hmm. and, and I was like no no I have to have the dancers that I know from London and from New York I, I can't do it with I can't do it with German dancers. I have to do it with dancers I know because I already knew there was going to be a million questions. It was all, I needed those people there that were going to be there for me and mm-hmm. then they were going to support me and and, and, and that and could understand you. Understand you. Understand you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was so. So even in even in my naivete, that was the one thing I said. I, I have to have the dancers, and they made it work out. They made it work out. So don't don't ever be railroaded in a way like nope, you got you have absolutely nothing, you know, because you need you need something. To feel comfortable with, you need something to to right. you know grab onto. Right, and I had Tom Hulse, so I already like automatically because he, you know, I felt like I had someone who was in my corner mm-hmm. who, who understood me at least to that. By the time we actually shot the movie, we'd be, we'd really spent a lot of time together and we were friends. Um, so that mm-hmm. was that was really helpful. Also, one thing I learned about the practicality of it is I thought like in the theater, you you give. You know, an entire proscenium full of dance or something, and then the director or the DP is going to going to decide on what they want to look at right. or what's the right. best, or you tell them what you want to focus on it. And that was a horrible mistake. That was my. But as you watch that movie, if you ever watched Beyond the Sea, you can see that as the sh- as the film went on, I was learning how to do it because I was giving them actually too much, and the things I want to focus on were not focused on. And there weren't good shots of those things. Mm-hmm. They weren't because they got caught up in this over here instead of in in this. And so I started realizing ah, all I, all I can give them is what I want them to see. Right. So it's, we didn't. So you funny, s- right? you stopped the edges even happening. You only gave your focus, and then they had an incredible. Uh, um, a guy who would do sketch out the um, uh, storyboards. Who would do the storyboards? Something I'd never even heard of before. And this guy named Axel would do these storyboards, and it got it got to the point where we would choreograph it, and my assistant uh, would go and literally sit with Axel and just do the steps. And Axel would actually draw out the steps as well. Not all the steps, but like the lift section, the couple section, and all of that so that, because we were shooting under a really tight schedule, so that we could really, really focus in on what we needed to see. Yeah. You know. Um, storyboards are good. Yeah, storyboards we are so We couldn't afford helpful. them for my for home at the end of the world. There were yeah. no storyboards. I just yeah. made it up. And it's funny what you say about, like, as you look at, when I, when I look back at the movie and I see that I started to know what I was doing as it went on, but because you also do everything out of sequence, yeah. you know, and it's like you re- it's really, it yeah. really screws with your head a lot because you're just, you know, it's like, oh, does he have the bad wig on in this scene or does he have his haircut in the scene, which is it, you know, and you're going back and forth, back and forth. So when I watch it, I still remember precisely which, what my first days were. And some of my first days are at the end of the movie, which is really, really weird. Mm-hmm. So, like, some early stuff, I'm like, God, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> and then it goes on and on, and later in the movie, I'm like, oh, that's kind of embarrassing. So it goes the wrong way, you know. <laughs> you want something to get better as it goes on, so it's interesting. What are some of the other just, like, basic differences of how you work in film versus theater? Well... First of all, well, you go out of sequence. You can't, and there's no rehearsal. I mean, they're really, they're like rehearsal. I mean, you have to because they're yeah, it's yeah. choreography. But yeah, yeah, yeah. there's, you know, there isn't rehearsal. You get, I got, I had Colin Farrell 
before, like a couple days before we started, and Robin Wright Penn. I remember a rehearsal was sitting in my office. Uh, we sat on the floor and read through some scenes. That was the rehearsal, and then you rehearse on the set right like before they go to makeup. You do one quick pass through, and they walk over here to the and the camera's here, and you set it up, and they do it. Then they go to hair and makeup, and they come back, and then you shoot it. They're just there, so there's no process. There's no. Um, you have to really know exactly how everything is going to fit together and tell mm-hmm. your story. There's nothing remotely organic about it the way there is in a theater room where you've got your month or however, however many weeks you have and you build a company and you start putting the play together and you can watch it over and over again and you can fine-tune and the actors start to build a whole character that, you know, you know how that works um, and that doesn't exist in a film so you have to know exactly in your head when you're shooting this scene which is in you know the beginning of act three of your movie that you want this kind of performance and you want the emotional pitch to be here and you want the character to have developed to this point knowing that when you shoot three weeks from now the scene that takes place you know five years earlier that you're going to want them to behave this way so that when someone watches the movie they'll see this progression that's completely artificial so it's very weird to say the least but it's kind of cool too at the same time because that whatever like control freak that makes you want to be a director or a choreographer (laughs) is really it's like honestly it's like you're in tech the whole time so if you like that you're going to be it's heaven (laughs) I think when you do it what I realize when you're filming a number is like so they do the first take the first take is like opening night and then you watch it on playback and then you do the second take or you do whatever changes, and you do the second take. But by the third take, they're starting to like look for continuity, so there are no changes. So mm-hmm. literally, you had to call s- everything after the first. So they do the first take of it, and then you see what they're and you're watching the little thing, and you go like, okay, tell the girls, don't go up on the sidewalks, cut all those lifts in the back, we don't see them anyway, move all the trash cans to the left, and have the car come 16 counts later. And then they, everyone would go and do that, and then they do the second take. And then after that, though, the adjustments are m- only minor. Because then they're going to try to match things up, right. and there are trash cans, and there aren't trash cans, and there the car's there, and the car's there, and so you don't have a lot. You have got trust your gut. You have to learn how to trust your gut mm-hmm. in this business, in everything, but even in the filmmaking more because you know they had all these dancers. You were outside. You were on location. You know you had only a, a finite amount of time. Mm-hmm. You the know light. the light, the light, but it's you going. Know, it's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to move. We, we were filming in this park in in outside of Berlin. And there was this uh, section where Kevin and the guys were dancing down this kind of graveled thing. And uh, the power went out. Our power source that they'd given us went out. And we had like, you know, 40 minutes left. And we had to get this shot because we were not allowed in the park again the next day. And it's German rules and they're fairly strict. So, uh, <laughs> so we literally had 40 minutes. And so I'm not kidding you. Kevin's assistant drove his car down to the place and we played the recording the playback from his car stereo out of the trunk so we had the trunk open mm-hmm. right there and the guy and we filmed we filmed that to the CD that we've been using for rehearsal the tracks out of out of his car stereo out of the trunk the little speaker in the trunk and actually <laughs> filmed it like that because we had no power because the power went out on the on the sound system mm-hmm. so it's just you know it's just being resourceful and you know, trusting your gut and, you know, because in theater you can always go back. Right. You know, you can always go back and, and figure that later and see how that fits into the 
to the whole picture. So, but by the same token, with it, certainly in performance, they only have to do it once. That's mm-hmm. the thing; they don't have to sculpt a whole. They don't have to have a whole structure. Mm-hmm. So all you you get that shot once, and it is done. And mm-hmm. that's like, yeah. and that's kind of wonderful. Also, you don't have mm-hmm. to figure out how to like how to maintain mm-hmm. something. But you can see then why film actors who also from the stage or have done stage like to come back to it because it, they test that other set of muscles mm-hmm. to do the whole play to try to find the whole journey rather than just bit by bit right. by bit and you also see why film actors who don't do theater can't do theater because they don't have those skills those, those at all skills. they don't know how I remember yeah. there's this one scene in The Home at the End of the World where uh, Dallas Roberts who is a theater actor has a big there's this big scene in, on a, the patio in um in Arizona, and he's got this big breakdown. And um, when we shot the master, which is the big shot where you see everything, um, and and he has this great thing. He's crying. He's so emotional, and he does a beautiful job. And Robin, Robin Wright Penn, runs up to me. She's like, "You can't let him do that. He's he'll have nothing left for his close up. You have to stop him. You know, don't let him do that." And I said, uh, I think he's going to be fine. We shot the, uh, another one, big one, wide. He was fantastic tears and all. Colin comes up to me. You can't let him do that. He's going to have nothing left for his, you know, close up. And they were so worried because they don't know. They don't know how to do it more than once or twice. They save it for their close up, and they they work themselves up and everything. And you, you see it in masters all the time. You see some a kind of very restrained thing. It's not restrained. It's they just can't do it more than once or twice. And so they save it's they save it for the big, you know, when when it's here, and then their eyes get all welled up, and they have all this, yeah. and you're like, oh, what great yeah. acting! But really, it's just it's like for a second, and then it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Should we open it up? To sure. Questions? I have a question about your. You said your key people that you hired. Uh huh. Who was sort of the person who knew the most about which you knew the least that saved your ass on a shoot? Either mm-hmm. one. Um, I would say in both cases, honestly, the uh, the a- the first AD, he's like your stage manager, mm-hmm. and in both both I've only done two films, um, and in both cases I had I was really lucky, and I had just an amazing AD who I'm just the worst at scheduling everything anyway, and so they were really great, and they had my back the whole time, and they had a really both of them. Um, were fantastic at protecting my time. So that was... Because um, I'm pretty good with like talking about the lighting and the... Ca- I, w- I got better at talking about camera angles and stuff like that and you know where to put the camera, basically. And I knew I was going to be fine with the actors for the most part. And the, you know, the sort of the visual elements, I didn't, I wasn't panicky about it because I'd done enough plays and I'd ha- had those kinds of conversations before. <laughs> so it was really... Um, that was the main thing for me, ultimately. And in both cases, both of my DPs in both films were challenged in different kinds of ways. So that neither was like an ideal fit for me. Um, and ordinarily, I would say that person would be like absolutely mm-hmm. crucial. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, for me, I don't and know. And for dance for too, it's whoever's whoever's behind the camera. Like for the movie, it was a little better because we had storyboard guy once we, once I figured out how to use that so then we could use that and then like just follow now that's this shot now that's this shot and just had it on a you know on a clipboard and just could go through and now we're doing this one remember remember we're doing this one uh, for for TV like I did uh, 
the Oscars. I did a number last year for Hugh Jackman and Beyonce. And, and Baz Luhrmann, like, conceived this whole number. And Baz, what he mm-hmm. did was he, he filmed it himself. Of course, he had that skill, too. But he filmed it himself how he thought it should be shot. And he did that in the studio, in the, or in the big, like, yeah, in the studio, where we, where we learned it. So he had already edited hims, his own cuts of it, like how he thought it should be. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to be in the, in the truck, so he's not behind the camera, so he's not going to make that happen. But then he also very respectfully befriended the guy who is and, and showed him and made him a copy and said, we think that it would be better if it went like this and like this and like this. And then I think the reason it, you know, even though it's exactly as we thought it would be, but because he uh, um, did that, I think it was better than normal for television for that kind of thing. You know, last year I did the opening number at the Tonys. That's a little trickier because there's even less rehearsal time and there's a slight lag, a slight delay in getting it to where it needs to go. So I, I think that, you know, one thing I've learned in those situations, it's very helpful too if you end up choreographing or directing a show and you're doing your number for the Tonys. Don't, don't try to change what this guy's going to do because they're going to do what they're going to do. He's going to do duh, and then he's going to go to the wide shot when they do the this, and then he's going to go close up from stage left and stage right. Just change what they do. That, that's what I've learned. I can't. You can only have so much control over all of that madness out here. I have a lot of control over those people up there. Mm-hmm. So you watch that first time, and you go, oh, I see, that's going to be a wide shot. Uh, 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 okay, great. So you go back up there, and you respace it. And let's not do two lines, let's do one line, because I know that's going to be a wide shot. I, they, they can, we have a... If. If they stick with what if they stick, yeah, <laughs> they do the first yeah, time because yeah. they they don't at least always. with the Tonys because it is so quick. They are pretty good about mm-hmm. whatever they had their plan and they kind right. of stay with it, yeah. you know. So, um, but sometimes they're a little they're tricky that way. <laughs> yeah. With, with such limited time on film, what kind of direction do you find yourself giving to the actors? Well, it really depends, you know, and it's the same with, like, in, in theater. It's, it really depends what, who the actor is and what, 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 what they need, what your relationship to them is also, and what they know, too. So, like, for instance, I could give, um, I was really, I would give so much, like, to, I would, like, really, I would talk Colin's ear off because he was so used to, to working in a certain way and he'd never done a character that was like this before. So I was really like coaching, coaching, coaching throughout. Um, and then like Sissy Spacek, you know what, you just sort of leave her alone. And then she yeah. asks you yeah. over and over, should one more take, one more, please, please, please. One more. Like, we don't, please, 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 please. And she would do it and I'd watch it and it would look exactly the same, brilliant, but exactly the same as the one before. Until later, when you look at it, you know, in the editing room, and it's amazing how different it is. So, you know, each one really was different. So it it really depends on the level of experience and what you and what you're looking yeah. for. But mostly, I think actors are actors. It's just whether or not they have the ability to repeat mm-hmm. or not. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also it's a call to imagine an actor who's dancing. Like Kevin had done, Kevin Spacey had done very little, if any. I don't think he'd done any real dancing at all, you know. And so, he, but he trained. I mean, we were. I mean, this man is—he's remarkable. What he would do, you know, make up at four in the morning and then directing and start and all of that, and then do the dailies, and then I would go to a, in a studio, and my assistant and I would go into a studio with him at eleven o'clock at mm. night, and he'd dance for two hours, Jeez. dance until literally he could barely stand up, but he wanted it to be good and he wanted it to be right. And you're trying to teach someone how to do a soda bosque at twelve. 
at midnight in the stu- you know what I mean but, but he was so determined so when someone's doing something physical that's another call you need to make your call one do you back out of it when do you back out and do you for example we were filming on the last day of shooting we did his trickiest dance sequence that he did with the little Bobby you know, he's the big Bobby and there's a little Bobby him as a child him grown up and we had a series because it was the last number in the show I said Kevin you've got to up your ante here you've got to do some steps that you haven't done yet and so there was two soda bosses not a double soda boss but if you don't know what that is it's just this this two in a row like that and that and that, that requires spotting that requires a lot for an actor that's not easy for an actor to do. And it fit perfectly to the music. The kid could do it. Kevin could do it most of the time, but not all the time. It wasn't consistent, but he could do it. So it was just like the, I, the, the question of, like, we need it. I think it's worth it. I know he can do it, but on the day, right. it, was go- it was rough. It was going rough. And he, he even had moments of, like, yelling, like, I can't do this! You know, and then I would just lay on the god mic, you know, like, again. Because I knew, let's try it again, because I knew he could. Right. And this, that's your gut. Again, mm-hmm. gut. Gut. Everything's gut. I knew he could do it. He did it. He did it beautifully right. when he had to, you know, for the take. So, um. I have uh, two questions. First of all, uh, how much do you watch um, your actors working live versus monitor feedback? Mm-hmm. Um, and second, how involved in the editing process were you? Um, I did both. Um, I would try to be there in the room for them. But again, you know, at the end of the day, it really is what's on that screen and I have to tell you what that is one thing I would say at a certain point you do end up talking to on film in a way that you would be horrified to like like make this face you know what I mean literally like can you just tilt your head this way a little and look a little you know and because all that matters is what's actually in the box in the box so uh, you end up watching the box way more than you feel like you should or that you want to or that you ever dreamed that you would Yeah. And then um, I was in the editing for both my films from day one. We didn't have dailies uh, um, on A Home at the End of the World. We didn't have that kind of budget. So I never saw a thing until it was done. And so that was kind of heartbreaking when you think yeah. you have something. That helps and a lot. It's like, oh. And yeah. there's no reshoots. So yeah, you start. Yeah, yeah. The editing process is completely fascinating because it's storytelling on a whole other level. Mm-hmm. And um, in both in both films and with Flicka I was I, it was a big budget Holly, you know big studio movie so I had dailies every day I knew exactly what I was doing I could do reshoots and stuff but even so when you get into the editing room you start telling a different story and it's amazing every choice that you make who's, whose story are you telling in this one shot whose face are you on even on that level and then mm-hmm. big story things. It seems you like can a just basic move level. a scene. Yeah. You just yeah. take a scene from here and you put it there. Suddenly you have a whole other plot that you're mm-hmm. that you're telling. Mm-hmm. It's um it's actually thrilling. Yeah, Re- it's really cool. Yeah. And music, um, trying yeah. to match it to music. Mm-hmm. For example, for dance, to try to match it to music, and also to be able to watch all those takes and go like, wait, 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 wait. I think that. Four takes ago, her kick is, she's actually, her foot's pointed on the end of it, like, beautifully. Can we take the kick from four takes and put it on this? Mm-hmm. And it, we can't, but then we've got to cut away to get to the kick. Well, then can we take, you know, it's just, it's... It's, it's incredible. It's interesting. And it's that's really where the continuity comes in, and yeah. you start to ha- you, sometimes you have these big decisions to make. Do you really care if the, you know, the... 
if the ice cream soda was here in the glass in this take, but now it's completely untouched yeah. because that performance was so good. Yeah. And so you start to like, yeah. what's going to pull people out or what's going to keep people in? In Flicka, there are five different Flickas, the horse, there were five different horses, and they each did different things. So if you really want, not that you're going to watch Flicka, but if you were inclined <laughs> to watch Flicka and you wanted to really study, you could see that each, each every in uh, in scenes, they're different horses. They're actually slightly different sizes, and they've got different faces and stuff. But there was the one that goes up, and then there's the one that walks gently. There's the one that's really ferocious and runs. There's the one that will fall over on the right and there's the one that will fall over on the left so it's you know in terms of you, the way that you that we had to shoot mm. the horses even you know forget like the acting of the horses because that's a whole other thing but the, the way that mm. that you put it together it's, 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 it's really really interesting what the eye sees and what it doesn't what you choose to pick up on let you. I mean, was there a bit of an attitude about reshooting? I mean, how much wiggle room is there? Because with mm. uh, on, I don't know what it was like mm. for you guys, and I don't know. I don't think yours was a huge budget, was it? Wasn't it? huge yeah. at all. No, it was very. It was limited. It was very limited. Yeah, that's what did you limited. have reshoots? We did very little, very very little reshooting. Yeah, we we did. Um, my first movie, not with uh, one scene we reshot one scene that we also ended up cutting so it would never even showed up in the movie yeah. um, and on Flickr we, well, I could do a fair amount but it would be within a few days because we had the dailies and we could look yeah. and we could see and then yeah. and I had a big you know I had Fox behind me and they were like yeah it's worth it to do to do that there's again. a negative sort of attitude towards requesting a reshoot I mean you mean well, from you mean from producers necessary. do you mean cost wise do you mean from the actors well or there is the always a cost involved mm. to drag them in so well, right there expensive. cost is everything Every, that's right. all that I mean that's all that matters so. but if you have to you, you have know. to I guess so you try not to but if you have to no you want to it's like have you ever like uh, you know you, have you ever not wanted an extra preview or an extra <laughs> week of rehearsals yeah, yeah, yeah. or you know what I mean yeah, you yeah. always want more yeah 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 Always, and so I was begging, right. yeah. begging for reshoots constantly, but they're never going to give it to you, or you know, unless yeah. they yeah. agree okay. that it's like necessary. Oh, and no. also at the beginning, in terms of your hiring your key people, uh -huh. design or DP. I mean, especially as relatively new directors in the field, mm -hmm. obviously not as in the mm -hmm. theatre. I mean, how much were they trying to get you to hire the people they wanted, or were you able to say, I'd actually like to see X, Y, and Z? You know, how did that work? Well, for, with, when the first film was with killer films, and it was, again, as I said, no budget, so we were... It was lucky we could get who we got. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You just yeah. hope yeah. that you get competent people who maybe are artistic and actually have good taste and want to work under those conditions, which are not ideal for anyone. So hopefully you feel like the script was good enough, the story, the, the actors were good, the, the company was good yeah. enough that you'd get people. And with, at Fox, they were very, they, they controlled all of that. Yeah. And that, that I went into yeah. knowing that yeah. that's yeah. what the gig is. I think if the producers handle the creative, and if the creative handles the casting, that seems... Fox handles the yeah, casting, yeah, too. Yeah, they do everything. Okay. Actually, just like the big studios, some of them yeah. will... They'll, they, you can say, I want this person, and then they'll say, oh, that's very nice. This is who you're going to have. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Do you get to sit in? Oh, you go through all the audition process. Uh, yeah, totally. But then they didn't care what you have to say. 
They care, but they don't care. <laughs> they care to a point. Do you know what I mean? They care. They're, they're really yeah, interested in what sometimes you have to say. Too, you know, <laughs> but you get to a point. That's you know. for sure. And either the show's if the show's going to happen, then yeah. you have to have this kind of a yeah. box office or, yeah. the, you know. The, you thing, know, there's, the thing you hear now that producers are asking for, my favorite yeah. lately, is like a critic-proof star. Yeah, right. You need a critic-proof yeah. star for this. Yeah. You're like... Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that's, that's easy. Yes. You know, but critic proof. So. Who's in that category? Nathan Lane. Well, I mean, you know, Hugh Jackman and Daniel Craig right. are critic proof mm-hmm. stars. Catherine Zeta Jones is now, we found out, is a critic proof star. Right. No, 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 I don't mean, no, she's great. I think she's incredible. But, you know, just the things that happen, is certain people just fall into that category, yes. and cer- certain people don't. You know what I mean? So In film, you know? Will Smith, yeah, I guess he still opens yeah, a oh, movie yeah. big. Yeah, he does. Let's see. Can you talk a little bit about your pre-production time and your rehearsal time? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like I didn't. I never had as much as I wished, but I, you know, uh, I did kind of rehearse it like a show. The thing was, though, was you did each number separately. So, for example, we would do, we did pre-production for say six weeks of basic pre-production for all the numbers. Six weeks of basic pre-production, and that included working with dance arranger David Chase, who did some of the, who did all the arrangements that were separate from the Bobby Darren arrangements, and that was very interesting. Where's the other thing? They they laid down all the tracks, including all the dance stuff, before we had a person. So it's not like so we literally the, the music was done. It was what it was going to be. So there was no cutting or going back. It was all timed. It was all going to fit. So the music you have, the music you had. It's not like here when you're doing a show and you just cut that section or expand that section once you're actually in there with the dancer. So the music was done. You know, they laid down all the tracks at Abbey Road Studio in London with an incredible orchestra four months before I had a dancer in the room. So with the assistance of David Chase and with Kevin, bringing Kevin into the thing, we would we would kind of basically prep everything and say, and this is the section where he goes to the fountain and this is the couples here and then this is the section where he's on the bridge and they're underneath. You know, so to kind of the basic of all of that so and we had a basic idea of what the steps were going to be and then we recorded the music and then we had to kind of stick to it uh, so about six weeks of prep to actually for the steps and then when we actually had the dancers fast you know two days in London teach the number fly to Berlin have fittings and the next day add the American dancers and then the next day shoot so not even a week with the, with the dancers you know do you find that hard to negotiate in that time and that space uh I uh, it w- yes, what was hard was, yeah, cost, you know, cost of bringing the dancers, cost of the housing, co- it's all cost, it's all cost, it's all cost. So, you know, you, you're always just like in everything, you're choosing, okay, all right, then I'll have four dancers from New York instead of ten, mm-hmm. if I can have them longer, you know, that kind of, all of that kind of stuff. So I decided I'd rather have four ringers, I wanted four of the ones that I worked all the time, along with the London dancers that I knew from doing Millie in London and just a few London dancers at that time. But I knew if I had my ringers and if I had these two boys and these two girls, that they could lead. They could lead the groups. And then I had, you know, uh, great assistants. I had an assistant in London who stayed in London. I had an ass- and two assistants with me. So the in London assistant would stay and, like, deal with getting those people together. We lost someone, have an audition, try to find someone, you know, that, kind of, that kind of thing. And then... Um, and then we, you know, put it all together. Yeah, not enough time, but again, if you have the people you trust and know, that helps. You know, it wasn't like a bunch of totally new people. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What's the biggest difference in your artistic process at the beginning stages before you get on set between doing theater and film? Is there a mindset that has to switch, or is it the same? Hmm. 
feel like the basics from the basics the same for me anyway. Yeah, it is. You, again, with um, I'm as Rob knows. I just the way I work. I tend to like find a lot of stuff in in the process of doing you know, of like my favorite thing is when I don't have like a set that you know when it's a big empty space or an environment like Spring Awakening or something where I can just do whatever the hell I want in it mm-hmm. and, I, and I know that I don't have to make any hard decisions about mm-hmm. and that I'm not locked into it ahead of time you don't have that luxury on a film so for me it's challenging because I have to have a much stronger concept going in of what the whole thing is because you've got to have your locations picked you've got to have your sets built you've, everything and, and when you're lucky to have a storyboard you know all that has to be worked out ahead of time. So the, the, the organic finding of mm-hmm. stuff is really relegated to the actual day of, of the shoot, and it becomes much more about where the camera is and what's happening in the performers mm-hmm. and what luck happens in terms of light or, mm-hmm. or weather and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But um, So for me, it's a really... It's a very different head. I have to be much more... Um, much more organized, mm-hmm. which is not my nature, mm-hmm. so it's harder. I have a question about the film where you were allowed reshoots uh-huh. and you had dailies. Mm-hmm. Did you was your editor working on a rough cut as you were going? Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was the set. It was my second editor from my first movie. I hired to be my editor for for Flicka. So, and we we're friends, and so. Uh, and we'd already worked together very happily, so we were together every I, every day. I was in my trailer watching, mm-hmm. watching it. So it was, it was a t- it's really a luxury. I yeah. mean, it's so same great. With, same with you Beyonce. really see what you're doing, yeah. and you see what works and what yeah. doesn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. and how things are going to cut together. Yeah. He had, he made a trailer about three weeks in to show the head of the studio because she's like a total horse lady and so she went, was really into it. So he made a little trailer just of what we'd had and so it was very cool. So you already started to see like how the film was going to actually be you know, portrayed in a way. You know? So that you had a, had a much better sense of the whole way early on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is for Bob. Hi. Um, I... It sounds like you actually approach in the film like you would theater. You're actually putting together your musical numbers, but then when you actually get there, you then have to edit. That's when it's different. That's right, because <laughs> the prep part is the same. Because you're trying, uh, you hopefully are trying to tell a story in the dance, and you know move the show along or move the story along in some way. So that part is the same, I think. But it, it is once you get there, and once you decide what you're looking at and what you're not looking at, and. Um, that's the part that's very tricky that you have to just like trust your gut. I think I, you know, one thing I know that one thing that helped me. I always say it's like God, thank God for doing encores because I did when I first started. I did probably four. I did four encores, and because there's so little time, and because you know you put a number up and you realize that you only have time, literally for it. the rule was two things. You can change two things in this, in the whole big number. It's like okay, I can change two. Pick the two because you can't change five. There's no time. There just isn't time. So you get so it just gets you organized in your head about like uh, 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 that. Okay, I don't love that, but that'll be fine. That's the bleeder. We got to fix that. That so it does trust you to, to get those instincts going 
and try to and so that was very very helpful and that's what the that's what the movie felt like I thought we were going to have tons of time I thought it was going to be you know we just do it again and again and again and what about this but it wasn't there wasn't time it takes so long to control over when you're looking at the camera angles were you able to actually control how they were going to film it. Yes, it, it, well, that's so what. I this, want this shot coming this way. Well, that's what that's what I didn't way. know. The first number we did, yeah. I really just thought that Kevin. Well, Kevin was in it, so how could he really know? But the, I thought that literally, I thought the guy behind the camera mm-hmm. was going to shoot the number, right? And I just gave him a big one. It's like this room, <laughs> and I'm up here, and I'm going to shoot here, <laughs> and then I'm going to shoot back here, and I'm going to do a long shot, and then I'm going to. That he was going to decide, and he's standing there like. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? That's the most terrifying moment. And here's this number with like 40 people dancing around a fountain. And, and it's supposed to be summer. And it's, you know, 20 degrees. And everyone is like this. And everyone has things in their hands and all that. You know, just trying to, and, and, you know it's supposed to be. So it's all of that. And I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I, I guess follow Kevin. Mm-hmm. Follow him. Yeah. But, I mean, that was the way. And, and then I realized that's when the whole storyboarding and all that. Then I started going, oh, my gosh. I need to uh, tell them because then I saw the dailies of that. I was like, <laughs> right. oh my god! Right. So that was you know crane shots and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so then after that is when so we even went back. I even got them to go back. I did get them to go back to reshoot a couple of things that we needed to make that number make sense. We picked up we get this it's a typical movie. We picked up like a month and a half later with a completely different set of dancers because it wasn't the same dancers in every number <laughs> that they actually wigged and put in makeup and they wore the clothes of the first group of dancers so that we could do these couple of sort of crane shots and no one can tell it, no and you can't tell it was kind of insane yeah it ta- one thing I was going to say is what's weird is it's this it's such a you know this waiting and waiting and waiting for the lighting to be done and then you have no time. And then you have to just it. do it. That's so it. The prep for <laughs> That's every exactly single. Right. And you know, if it's you're at the breakfast table and you're going to do it from like the four angles, you they set up all the lights for this, and then you do the scene. And they're like, hurry, hurry, I, can I do one more take? No, we got to move. Strike. They, yeah. And then everyone goes away. And then they set a turn. Everything moves the walls around and change the lighting. Hour after hour after hour after hour. They bring everyone in. Okay, go. And then can I do one more? No, we got to move on. And then turn the whole thing. So, you know, it could take a whole day. to. It's this weird thing, like pages. Like they, that's, that's the other thing that's weird. You know, when you're in the theater and it's like, how many scenes do you want to, how many numbers do you want to do? How many scenes do you want to do today? In the fil- in film, it's all broken down in 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 one eighth pages. So you'll do one a page and an eighth, or a page and a quarter a day, or two pages, or a page and one quarter, and that's literally how they break the day down. So it's a very weird. It's just a different head altogether. You're like, hmm, can I do an extra? I, I, and so uh, you start, you. and you get into it, and you're oh like, wait, you're starting. So you, I start to want to do more, but then when you realize, oh no, oh no, I'm like, maybe only, maybe only three eighths of a page today. Would that be, you know? And they want you to do more. So it's this constant battle between how much you can do and how little you can do. The producers, yeah. the line producer. Yeah. And are they also the one that say, "Oh, we have to do this shot next. This one has to come next." That's well. Either that's that's your that's your that's the ad and the line yeah. producer both because someone's literally the line producer is the bottom is okay. the line the line item is the, yeah. so yeah. they're like we can't can go, we go over time we, we can't go over, go over we time have to dance and an extra hour exactly and, and you're begging and pleading mm-hmm. please just five you know one more mm-hmm. five more minutes mm-hmm. ten no. And uh, yeah. and so that so that person you're always aware when suddenly your first 
and the line producer like having a little conference over there you're like I am so fucked (laughs) and then sure enough one of them will come over and they put the hand on your shoulder and they're like here's the deal we're not going to get this scene Mm. at all you know that scene isn't going to happen so think about how you want to rewrite that or Right. You know that great that thing that you wanted. We can't right. have it, and right. you just and so, so what can you do? Yeah. You just have to do yeah. without it. So it's very that part mm-hmm. is really unnerving. In in term, when you were before you did your first film and you mm-hmm. were watching all the films, did you realize the power of the editing? And did you have you know they call it the director's cut? Mm-hmm. Did you have that? And that's a sad story. No, sorry, I asked. No, it's okay. Number one, the first part of your question, no. Uh-huh. And to this day, I have to confess, like when I watch a movie, I totally like watch the, I click into the movie. I am incapable of really analyzing these things. For so I can go to a play and, and, and I can, I'm just sitting there and I'm such like, I'm watching every choice the director made, every design thing, you know, I'm such like this expert at uh, plays that I, it's very hard for me to enjoy myself at the theater anymore. I'm sure you guys know what that's like. And you're just like watching the whole thing. A movie starts and I'm like 10 years old and I'm just like, oh, so I just fall into it. So as much as I tried really hard to understand how it all worked, I'm constitutionally incapable of giving up that that childish, childlike part of me that just wants to just dive into the magic of the movies. So no, that never really worked for me, the, edit, the understanding editing, until I sat in the editing room. And having done that, I still can't watch a movie and see the editing. I still just go with it. So I'm just pathetic that way. But the, the director's cut thing is something that, you know, you have to be... You have to ha- have be a certain kind of powerful director, or the budget has to be so small that nobody really gives a shit whether you have right, right. final cut or not. Right, right. So if, if it's anywhere in between, they have it. And they can say that they'll honor you or, and give you the cut that you want, but at the end of the day, they'll, they'll make the decision. And that's a, that can be a hard... For Flicka, I went in with my eyes wide open. I knew what it was. The stakes were very low for me on that level. I thought, this is a big family movie. I'm doing this for the experience mm-hmm. and to do things that, aren't, that weren't just character-based and to have action sequences and to do some CGI stuff just to know what that whole world was and I knew that I was just gonna I was just signing away that and I never had any expectation with the home at the end of the world that was a killer but the the deal was that they made and literally killer you know because it was killer films but their deal was at um, I, I thought they were gonna be a killer on my behalf but it turns out they they were funded their major funding was coming from the same guy that was starting a new, uh, a new, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, was it Warner Brothers? A new division, an indie division at Warner Brothers. It's like an oxymoron, but that's what it was. The in- new indie division at Warner Brothers, but he was funding them, so it was basically doing a studio movie without any of the bu- of the perks like budget and mm-hmm. reshoots and. You know, Storyboard. storyboards, salary, anything like that. <laughs> it was devastating to me, yeah, because the, the ultimately the, the the cut was not mm-hmm. the cut. Did you come and see the? Did you ever? I can't remember if you came down. You yeah, saw, yeah, so yeah. you saw the the, the yeah. cut I did, yeah, and yeah. then yeah. the cut they did, and yeah. so it was just a yeah. killer. Yeah. It was heartbreaking, but what can you well, do? So. 
there was it was a lot there wasn't a basic difference and there was no governing yeah. principle that yeah. I could tell it was it felt willy random. Nilly. the it difference was, between it was random. random like why would you cut away from that it was random side? and homophobic honestly yeah. Yeah, that yeah. there was a lo- there was that there was the uh, definite like it was very uh-huh. important to them yeah. that the Colin Farrell, the Bobby character, not actually be bisexual, which yeah. is exactly what you know Who's the intent was. Hmm? Who was your Katie Rumel, she was awesome. I, I loved Katie. Katie was great. Katie and Tom Hulse were running around. Um, Phoenix going to ATMs, maxing out all of their credit cards to actually pay for the Steadicam operator for the scene in the desert because there was no more money. I mean, I've never seen mm. two people work harder and run mm. to so many little machines. It was really they, they were they were great. They were great. It was really it was really upper. But in a theater, her. you have so much control of as a director. You have so much control of the final everything. Oh, it's yeah. All, it is your, that's your job. And it, and it it feels weird because you aren't in control. You are in control to a point, and then other people are in control. Unless you are in control. Unless you are. And again, if you are, like, if you are, like, Martin Scorsese or someone, like, then and it really is your movie, then that's a whole other ball game, mm-hmm. You know, but when you're, like, us... For hire. And for hire, basically. Yeah. Or if it's, you know... Then you you give up that control mm. at that point, and it's that's hard. Yeah. Along those lines, where does the soundtrack come into that? Do you have much input on you know the underscoring and so forth, or that comes after it? Well, with your situation, it was all done, ahead, all done of ahead of time because it's the it's the, the score. With, um, did they use that entire sequence, or did they cut it back at all? Well, that was the one thing. thing. That was the one thing because of because it was a movie about a musician. And so the music was very crucial to the film. They didn't. They didn't. We had. To, you had to play the song. Mm-hmm. You had to. Go, you couldn't cut. You know, beyond the sea. I mean, it was the instrumental. You had to have it all because mm-hmm. it would be crazy if you didn't. So that's one thing. It protected all of the. So you had long sequences. Yeah, they were. Did they were intact. Or did you ever have a moment of like? Ah. They were intact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. we worked a lot to get them to sync up. That was the other lesson I learned. Only again, that idea of giving them only what you need. I thought, well, so they have time. They always they explain to me. So you have, so they, they can film something before and something after. I would give them steps before and steps after, just so there was some movement. But what that ended up doing is they didn't. So sometimes they would want to use the waiting steps. You know, and start there, and then of course everything was yes, it was musical, but it wasn't musical. You know, so you'd have to be in there to make sure in the editing that you got that lined up. Right. Yeah. For this, for the for my films, for the first one, I hired Duncan Sheik to do the score, and then there was because it was period stuff. We got um, other songs and some wonderful songs, but the trick is, it's some of them are really expensive, so you have to beg. And yep. we didn't yep. get. We got because the night, the Patti Smith, um, Bruce Springsteen song, at the last possible second. Um, I wrote a and begged like an impassioned pleading letter to both of them and honestly it's because um, Bruce Springsteen loved Sideman so much that he convinced Patti Smith to let us use that so we got that at the last minute and Neil Young wouldn't let us use After the Gold Rush he wouldn't let us use um, and and, um, there was someone else um, who was it? it was um, I can't remember who it was somebody wouldn't let us use one of his songs, and so we went and recorded our a fake version of it at a at a studio. And then on Flicka, because Tim McGraw was the lead, um, he agreed to write a song for the closing credits. And then he sort of had his hand in, in ter- a little bit in terms of what other music, you know, 
some people that were on his label and his friends. And it, that was good and bad because we got access to some really terrific people. And, um, and then sometimes we had to use like people. It, it, it was all fine. I, the, honestly, the, again, the stakes were low on that for me, and mostly the songs were really effective, I think. Um, Taylor Swift auditioned at 16 and sat there and sang three songs for us on her guitar. She was very sweet, but we didn't hire her, and that's a shame, looking at how, how history works. So at this point now, I mean, what recommendations would you guys give to us to, A, be ready for that call? You know, what kinds of things, watching movies or hanging around sets or television, you know, or... Uh, or how to pursue help us get that call. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked about this on the e-blast thing. It was like, this is to help feed the theater habit. So how do we go about getting that kind of work and how we prep for it? Well, anytime you, I think apprenticing is key in everything. So, so you, so you know the lay of the land. I mean, how helpful it would be to be, to be around, mm -hmm. to be around a set, to be, to do whatever it takes doing, whatever it takes doing to be it, where the action is. You know, even if even if you aren't doing anything, maybe uh, artistic of note at first, but then you're in there and you're seeing how it works, and you're a student and you're observing. Uh, I think I think that's when I, I I always say who who do you apprentice? You apprentice the people that you like, the people that you like what they do. Because how silly to apprentice someone you don't particularly care about, you know? Because you want to get you don't want to be there to. I, I think you want to be there to help uh, let them help you. You know, when you're in it, when you're in the flow of it and you're going, it's just like anybody around, everyone's in the spill of the spotlight or whatever, so everyone's going to get it. So if you're there and you're in, in the room, then you're in the room and, yeah. and you're, you know, getting that uh, experience. And I think that works for whatever you want to do. And I think that, you know... you're sitting with Kevin yeah. watching all those takes after takes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To be able to be there. Right. I mean, yes, besides the dancing stuff, I was there. And guess what? I did it, too. I didn't say, like, I'm not going today, I'm going right. to go shopping. Do you know what I mean? There was some shopping. Not bad. <laughs> but, you went, but you know, you went. Do you know what I mean? It's like you, you were there. You, were, you take those chances that you get. There's opportunities. Opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I just think that always, as far as like being ready, that's being ready for anything, whether it's to direct a show, choreograph a show, or assist, or whatever it is, is you have to start forming your own um, ideas and your own images and your own thoughts and your own. You know, that helps you be ready. I say that when I go to, back to college and the dancer's like, what, you know, what do we do to get a job dancing on Broadway? And I say, well, one thing you can do is just be well-rounded. Mm -hmm. Just be, just have a life. Just bring a lot of things to the table. Just, you know, one of the best things you can do is go to a museum or travel to Europe or any of that stuff that makes us bigger, fuller people, you know. And then you bring all that with you when, when, when you least expect it. It'll mm -hmm. be there, you know, and you'll have all those tools and you'll have all that experience and you'll have all that... And I think confidence grows from that, you know. I don't know. One thing I would say in terms of the film stuff, and I totally agree with everything you're saying, but I forgot one thing that I did do that was really, really um, mind-expanding for me was I would read the screenplay of a movie and then watch the movie. And that was really, really useful. Like anything, even like to go back and just read the screenplay for, for To Kill a Mockingbird and then watch that film again because watching that film is the best thing you can do for yourself anyway, no matter what, because it's so brilliant. But it's really interesting to, the, to literally read what's, uh, what that screenplay looks like 
and then how it gets translated. Um, whatever, Godfather, any movie, you know, and, and it, it could be good, some shitty little movie too. It doesn't even matter, you know, because um, you can still. That was the. That was actually more yeah. um, useful to me than just watching things over, you know, and just watching them in sort of in that vacuum. And then uh, another thing I would say, because it's hard to get on a film set, you know, there, there's so many people who want to be PAs or e even, you know, non-paid PAs on film sets. Um, there's a lot of television happening in New York right now, and there's a lot of single camera TV. That's mostly what it is anymore, and that is basically movie making. It's the same principle. It's just faster, and it's generally um, not as thorough, but if you have any friends who are working in, you know, on TV shows here, um, to go and just observe and just like stand, you know, and, and see if they'll let you in, because um, I did a lot of that back when I thought I wanted to direct television, and I observed so many TV shows being shot, and that actually, I think, filtered in a little bit just in terms of understanding how, just how a set operates and how and who does what on it, even though it's a very different, a very different and completely toxic, crazy, <laughs> and intense world. But it's really something, like, you know, um, just to watch how, how it works. We actually have to wrap it up. Um, I want to thank Michael and Rob so much. They are so busy and tired and spend <laughs> time with us. So thank you guys so much. Thanks. Again, this is Hope Clark, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members. Visit us on the web at www.sdcweb.org. This online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theatre is made through the words of the people who make theatre. Visit them online at americantheaterwing.org.